1: Found v Sin's premier baseball betting show, this is The Run Line. It is The Run Line here on v Happy to be with you on a Sunday night, yeah, Sunday evening here in Las Vegas, Sunday night across the rest of the country. I'm Jeff Parles, in for Ben Wilson. He's Adam Burke. Adam Burke's the real star of the show, anyway. You can plug anyone in in this chair, but as long as Adam's here, we're good to go. Should be good.
0: It's uh, I, I give you a lot of credit, man. Early Saturdays, late Sundays. Look at you. Jack of all trades here at the
1: network. I don't even know what time it is anymore. I <laughs> to be totally frank. If you told me today was 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 f- uh, 4 four a.m. On a, on a Wednesday, I'd, I'd probably buy that at this point. I will not be telling you that. No, I, I don't want to confuse I hope, you. I don't want to confuse I, you. I hope you're not awake at, at, at 4 a.m., unless if you're listening to Mitch and Paulie. But there you go. That, that would be the only excuse to be up that early uh, on a Wednesday. But Adam, as always... It's pretty amazing. We're a week away from Memorial Day, which is usually a nice little line of demarcation for the Major League Baseball season. A little bit different this year because you had a a, a 10-day delay thanks to lockout problems. And here we are, teams mostly at about that third of the way point, quarter of the way point, depending on how, how deep you are. And Adam, it has really been a bear so far to figure out so far.
0: Yeah, it really has been. I mean, look, this has been such a a very unique season. You know, we've talked about this a lot on the show already, and we will continue to do so. The humidor changing offense, not really knowing what's going to happen year in and year out with the baseball. Come to find out this year, and we found out, I want to say maybe a week or so before the season, Mm -hmm. that all 30 parks had a humidor this year. Last year, there were 10 of them. So a really significant difference with offense. That's been something that's been challenging to figure out both for us on this side of the counter, as well as the sports books, where they've had to make a lot of adjustments to their totals early on in the year, seeing a lot more six and a half, seven, seven and a half totals over the last three, four weeks or so as they've kind of made their adjustments. But you know, look also, I think a lot of things that we kind of expected are happening. The Dodgers are really good. The Yankees are really good. The Mets are really good. Although the Mets now of course have injury issues with Max Scherzer going down. The Astros are good again couple of teams that are surprisingly lackluster like the Braves like the White Sox who you know are 500 now as they play Sunday Night Baseball here but I think for the most part we're seeing a fair amount of parity around Major League Baseball because of the low scoring run environment if offense picks up as we expect it to with the warmer weather we may kind of see the haves start to separate from the have-nots
1: well Adam just just even over the let's throw the 2020 pandemic season out of it because it was of course only 60 games Last year was a little bit squirrely because it was everyone getting used to a 162 game schedule. We started to see that probably, uh, I want to say 2017, 2016, where we started to really see the have and have not difference really just become larger. And, And look, so far this year, it hasn't been that large, all things considered, other than the Reds' ridiculously terrible start, and they've kind of, st- I, I, it's hard to say someone has stabilized at 12 and 28, but they went from being absolutely pathetic to being at least, all right, you're a major league baseball team, but you I agree with you. You're going to start really seeing, it. and you kind of started seeing it this weekend as well.
0: Yeah, I think so. You know, like you said that 40 game mark is kind of where you start to figure out what's real and what's not with a lot of these teams, because the reality is that even the more talented teams, Kind of, I don't want to say play down to their competition, but early on in the season, everybody's kind of trying to get into the rhythms of the year. So that's why you get a lot of underdog caches in the month of April. As you start to get into May, June, July, that's where you really start to see those favorites come in quite a bit. We'll see if that ends up being the case here. But to your point, I mean, we're about at the quarter pole. And and also, too, I mean, look, there are some teams that, you know, there's been a lot of rainouts lately, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of bad weather games. Uh wind has been a significant factor, stuff like that. Now we should start to see everything kind of stabilize a little bit where teams don't have as many off days. You know, a lot of teams playing 30 games in 30 days, 30 games in 29 days, stuff like that with scheduled doubleheaders, makeup games, all these kinds of things. So these teams are finally into the rhythm of the season now. But of course, that could also be a bit of an issue where fatigue kind of comes into play. And also, too, you mentioned the 2020 season, the shortened season, then you go to a full year. And now you start thinking about some of the young pitchers around the league mm-hmm. and if they wind up having injuries as we get you know closer to the summer months.
1: No, definitely. And one of those guys who is coming off a significant injury and has looked pretty darn good so far this year, Adam, coming off a, a rough start actually against these Yankees. Michael Kopak on the mound right now for the White Sox. White Sox and Yankees, second of a double dip today. So far through three and a half in game two, Sunday night baseball, Yankees and Sox, still where we started. Nothing, nothing. Kopech is not allowed a base runner through three so far. Yeah,
0: you know, and and look, it's it's always interesting trying to handicap these doubleheaders. A lot of people ask me, you know, what's your strategy for doubleheaders? And I, I don't really think that there is one. I don't really think that you can, you know, blindly bet. I know a lot of people like to take the loser of game one in game two, looking to avoid a doubleheader sweep, stuff like that. But I don't really think that that's that profitable of an angle. I think everything is on a case-by-case basis. But the one thing that I will say is, with regards to these double headers, is, you know, you think about the first game today, White Sox win three to one, Mm -hmm. right? Joe Kelly gets used, Kendall Graveman gets used, Liam Hendricks gets used, as the White Sox are preserving that victory. So you would think that those guys probably aren't available in game two. So that's something that I look for. I look for game one bullpen usage, where if the primary relievers get used, that's a team I may look to go against from a full game standpoint. And if I don't like the full game price, and it's close going into the later innings as this game projects like maybe it will. Maybe that would push me towards the Yankees side. Maybe take a
1: a, a low in-game over, too, as well. Especially, you know, Kopech is not going to go deep into a game.
0: Yeah, especially with a guy like Kopech. And, and that's what I mean about a case-by-case basis, where if it's a workhorse, if a Justin Verlander is pitching game two or, you know, Lance Lynn, somebody like that, that's one thing. But you talk about a guy like Kopech, who's pretty much a five-and-fly guy. They don't want to overextend him too much coming off the injuries, as you mentioned. You know, that, that sort of dictates what you kind of do, you know, with your pitching staff in and in that game. Like they got very fortunate. They got six very efficient innings out of Johnny Cueto today. Second straight, really good start from Cueto for the White Sox. But that game one giving you six innings. Same thing with Jamison Tyon for the Yankees, giving you seven innings in that first game. It's a really, really positive development going into a second game.
1: No, I absolutely. And and again, right now, live total in this game, four and a half. So uh this one the Pre-flop seven and a half, eight, depending on where where you saw. Now down to four and a half in game. No shock there as we roll along. Uh, still no base runners for the Bronx Bombers, who again are off to an absurdly good start. The best record in baseball at twenty nine and eleven to begin the year, even with the loss earlier in the day. Adam, just looking at the weekend that was in Major League Baseball, I, I'll just bring this up to, to start with some fun things. Did you have the Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina? Exacta back to back Sundays, uh, pitching for both of those guys. You've done Exacta? I I absolutely did not. (laughs) But you know
0: what, I I will say this I don't think that's something that Mike Schilt would have done last year.
1: No chance, and and
0: I know that it you know wasn't the last season for those two guys last year, but if it had been and and the opportunity presented itself, I don't think that Mike Schilt would have done that. I agree, I I agree with you, and and, and Marmol does it here this year, and, and I think it's a really fun thing for a team, it's kind of galvanizing. Look, I mean, it can get very monotonous playing games where you're winning by a ton or losing by a ton. And these are things that, not only are they cool accomplishments for players, and and Pujols is an obvious Hall of Famer, I'm sure people will make the case for Yadier Molina as well, but you know, it's a really cool footnote for those guys at the end of really interesting careers. And to me, I think that when you're a first-year manager, your players are going to gravitate towards that. And I think that the Cardinals are overperforming a little bit right now, but that's a team that, seems to have it all together, seems to be on the same page. And I think that these little examples just kind of show you what the feel of a clubhouse actually looks like.
1: Cardinals swept the Pirates this weekend. Cardinals three games back in Milwaukee as the Brewers dropped one this afternoon to the Nationals, avoiding the sweep the Nats. The Nats just not a good baseball team, as we know. But the Cardinals do have the best run differential in that NL Central, Adam. Yeah, they've had
0: some blowouts. That's certainly helped. And, you know, look, I mean, I've talked about this a lot. There, there are clear betting angles with this Cardinals team. I was on them for the first five yesterday in Matthew Liberatore's debut, uh, mm-hmm. debut excuse me, when he when they faced Jose Quintana, of the Pirates, and the Cardinals just hit lefties. I mean, they've hit virtually every lefty that they've faced here this season. They knocked around Carlos Rodon a week ago when Ben Wilson and I were here doing the show. They just hit lefties really well. But if you give them an above-average right-handed pitcher, They will struggle in that split, and a lot of teams will, but the Cardinals especially. Bryce Wilson gets the start today. He winds up leaving the game very early after getting hurt. So they wind up getting a Pirates team that was absolutely scrambling in this game. But, you know, Bryce Wilson gave up seven runs on six hits. You know, a below average right handed pitcher. Tyler Beattie comes in, a right handed pitcher who's probably below average, gives up a ton of hard contact. The Cardinals will do this against below average to slightly below-average right-handed pitchers. But if they get an above-average righty, I think you want to fade them in that situation. So even though this team has some gaudy numbers in certain ways, there are opportunities to play on them or play against them.
1: Well, that'll be very interesting once they face the team that they're trying to catch in that division, the Milwaukee Brewers, who, of course, even though Eric Lauer has been a revelation so far this year, the top two guys are two of the best right-handed pitchers in the National League, Adam.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something that, you know, I kind of talked about that last week. I think Ben and I went over the NL Central futures odds, and, you know, you're kind of looking at St. Louis and saying, well, you know, they're off to a pretty nice start, but that's the thing. You know, when they face Milwaukee head-to-head, and they will do that next weekend, they play a four-game set at Bush Stadium Thursday through Sunday against the Brewers, and and even now, let's see what happens here with the Cardinals, right? They've got two games against Toronto on Monday, Tuesday. Mm -hmm. They have Wednesday off, a rare Wednesday off day. Then they get that four-game series against Milwaukee, and then a three-game series against San Diego, who has some very good right-handed starting pitchers as well. I don't know if Hugh Darvish will fall on that turn. It looks like he probably will. Uh, Seems like they'll get Blake Snell, who's a lefty. Maybe that's a game where you want to look to take the Cardinals in that one. But they've got some pretty good righties coming up. They'll face Kevin Gaussman on Tuesday. That's a tough matchup. Uh, But Freddie Peralta now goes on the IL for the Brewers. Mm -hmm. We can talk about some of the injury updates as well. That's a big loss for a team that, you know, I think their offense is really overperforming right now. Woodruff's still trying to find it. Corbin Burns is obviously great. But Peralta's a big loss, not just in the short term, but also to see how long this lingers with one of those young pitchers, the aforementioned young pitchers, who kind of had an innings bump last year. Absolutely,
1: and also since Hauser has not looked his best so far, Losing Peralta, especially for that series coming up against St. Louis, where Peralta was slated to go on Saturday if everything stayed on schedule. A big loss there. By the way, Berrios tomorrow going for Toronto. So, someone who is pitching a little bit better of late after struggling early. So, a big test for the Cardinals tomorrow. We're going to have plenty more to get through. Two hours of baseball here on the run line on a Sunday night. uh, There's the great Circa's casino floor. We're live here at Circa. The Run Line rolling along on a Sunday night here on VSIN. You found VSIN's premier baseball betting show. This is The Run Line. Welcome back in. It is The Run Line here on VSIN, the sports betting network. I'm Jeff Parles, Adam Burkle alongside. Happy to be with you on a Sunday evening here in Vegas. Sunday night across the rest of North America. Adam, real quick before we dive back into what we saw this week. The bases are loaded for the Chicago White Sox with no one out in the in the top of the fifth inning. The wind whipping a, a misjudged fly ball in center field by Floreal allows one to drop in in front of him. So Tim Anderson, who has been in the news this weekend, up with them loaded for the Sox with no one out in a nothing, nothing game in the top of the fifth.
0: Yeah. And I don't think it's really a big surprise that Chicago's got nothing across here through four innings because they're a team that's in the bottom five in most offensive categories against righties, but they hit lefties extremely well. Another team here like the St. Louis Cardinals, but the Cardinals are actually above league average and quite a bit now after what they did to Bryce Wilson and Tyler Beatty today. But the White Sox have had problems with any right-handed pitcher. It feels like, uh, but lefties, they continue to hit very, very well. So, you know, we'll see what they're able to do here as Severino turns that lineup over for the third time. But again, an interesting live betting angle in terms of facing a lineup the third time through, You know, the the differences in pitcher effectiveness, going from seeing a lineup the first time to the second time to the third time, and you know, now turning it over a third time with the bases loaded and nobody out. We'll see if Severino is able to uh, escape this or at least
1: limit the damage. Adam, uh, just, just to bring it up, because White Sox are going for a series win in this series. They lost yesterday as – Anderson's going to ground it to a 5-2 force out at the plate. So still nothing doing there for the White Sox. And now it'll be up to Moncada with the bases loaded and one out and still no runs in. Uh, the, The White Sox, you mentioned one of the underachievers so far this year, they're 20 and 20. They're still the betting favorite in most markets and most books to win the AL central. How much of what we've seen from them do you think is what they actually are? Or do you think this is something that is going to turn at some point for them? So,
0: I really think that this is something that's going to turn for this team. I mean, they have battled some injuries early on in the year. Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert missed some time. Yohan Moncada, uh, he's been out as well. They've had some pitchers that have been down, too. You know, They've had a lot of guys that have missed time. They've had a lot of different things going on. But when you look at this team from a contact quality standpoint, they're a top-five team in terms of hard-hit percentage. I believe they're actually third mm-hmm. uh, in Major League Baseball. So they're making a ton of quality contact and having absolutely nothing to show for it and we're going to talk about this in the next segment during the regression report, but I think the humidor has a lot to do with that, being a cooler-weather city. You know, Down there on the south side, the wind isn't as bad as it is at Wrigley Field or as good as it can be at Wrigley Field. So the White Sox have had a lot of hard contact with very, very little success so far this season. That's something that should ultimately turn for them. So I do believe in this team long-term, and also, too, they've played a relatively tough schedule
1: here so far, certainly a tougher schedule than the Twins have played. Well, again, they're going to have multiple bottom feeders with a lot of games left against Detroit and, and the Royals, who, again, the Royals, uh, ever since Dayton Moore came out with the uh, we're all about accountability nonsense last week as uh, Moncada grounds into a 3-2 fielder's <laughs> choice. So the bases are still loaded and still no runs home for the White Sox. The uh, the Royals have lost uh, seven out of their last eight and look like one of the, the worst teams in baseball. Also blew a, a 6 nothing lead today in the eighth inning. Twins Wins yeah. won that one, so... Uh, a game stolen by the Twins, who are twenty-five and, 16, four and a half clear of the White Sox. Result pending, so that will either be an even four or five, depending on what happens uh, here tonight in the Bronx. Again, bases loaded and two outs now. After the White Sox had them loaded and no one out uh, in that in that one there in the Bronx, and it's going to be up to Robert now with them loaded to try to salvage something here for the South Siders. Let's uh, let's continue back at the uh, this past weekend. Uh, let's start in Philly. Because we saw this matchup between the Dodgers and the Phillies last weekend where the Phillies looked as good as they have looked all year. Probably should have been a four-game sweep. Dodgers stole the final one last Sunday to uh, salvage the final game of that four-game set. The uh, shoe was on the other foot today, Adam, where the Dodgers took the first two in Philadelphia. Uh, A low-scoring game today. Went into extras. They have basically the game on their racket. Two outs, second and third. Weak ground ball to Muncie should be an easy 4-3. Nope. Somehow turns into two runs for the Phillies as the Phillies steal it as a plus-124 underdog here. And and look, at him, the Dodgers are still pretty clearly the best team in the National League and the rightful favorites in every single market that they're in. But that was pretty brutal today for them.
0: It was very brutal today for them. And, and the Dodgers are a team I'm looking at very, very closely here because, you know, I've mentioned this a few times on a few different appearances, but strikeouts and walks are both down right now in Major right. League Baseball over the last couple of weeks. And the reason being, because pitchers just aren't afraid to pitch to contact right now because the ball's not carrying, right? So, you know, if you're a fly ball guy, you have no reason to, to sit there and try to go into deep counts, get all these swings and misses, all that. Let a guy hit a lazy fly ball to somebody and go on about your day. Well, the Dodgers are a team that, from a batting average standpoint, they haven't been all that great for quite some time, but they walk a ton and they have a walk rate over 11% here so far this season. But when they face some of these pitchers that aren't going to give up the walks, aren't going to give up the free base runners, and they have to hit their way on base, I'm a little bit concerned about the Dodgers' offense in that setting. So I'm trying to find spots to maybe go against this team a little bit because we know that they're in such a big favorite role day in and day out. But the one thing I will say about this series, with the exception of today, uh, offense picking up a little bit in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. There were five home runs on Saturday. I had under nine in that game with Mitch White and Aaron Nola. They wind up getting to 11 with three runs uh, over the last two innings, but there were five home runs hit in that game. So offense maybe picking up a little bit in Philadelphia, which is obviously something that would help the Phillies uh, as long as they can, you know, get outs from the bullpen.
1: Well, that's historically one of the best hitting ballparks. There is of course now uh, a little bit of a different era now where the best hit, one of the best hitting ballparks of our lifetime is now a pitcher's Haven just down the road. And I, that's just down I-95 in Baltimore, now, uh, which I know uh, you and Ben talked about a lot the last few weeks. And we'll also be getting to that in the regression report as well. Uh, other news and notes, uh, sticking in the end at least, the, the Mets lose Max Scherzer for six to eight weeks with that oblique injury. But uh, Adam, a scoring down, it really kind of feels like every time the Mets go to Colorado, they're way, way below what they should be offensively at mile high. But in the end, the Mets uh, win another series. They still have only lost one series so far this year. They win today behind seven stellar innings out of nowhere from Taiwan Walker who was great today and uh, the Mets get two in the sixth and beat Austin Gomber who was had his best start of the year even in defeat uh, two nothing the Mets win that and win two out of three from the Rockies at him. Yeah, I mean one thing it's been
0: a really nice lift for the Mets and and if he can continue to pitch that way it would be a nice lift. Is Carlos Carrasco has been really really good here so yes. far and and Carrasco's a guy that, you know, has a pedigree of being good. He had some very very strong seasons in Cleveland. But he's a guy that, you know, he's had some health issues both with the arm and then, of course, had the battle with leukemia. And, you know, he had some loose bodies removed coming into the season from his elbow. He's wound up pitching really, really well. They're going to need that. They're going to need that from him and especially from Taiwan Walker because it's not just Scherzer. It's also Tyler McGill who's out now with bicep issues, and we'll see how long that ends up lasting for him. Jacob deGrom just ramping up. I would say maybe a realistic timeline for him is the end of June, something like that because they'll want to take their time with him going through his rehab starts and everything. And, you know, it was funny. We talked yesterday on, on betting across America with Derek Cardi from the bat, who, you know, their daily betting capsules now over at visa with projections from the bat X, which is Derek Cardi's product. And he was talking about the Mets offense as being an overachiever as being an offense that he expects to see some regression from. And I agree, you know, they lead the league in infield hits by a large margin. They don't make a ton of authoritative contact, but they're placing the ball in the right spots. So the Mets, I kind of worry about here a little bit over the next little while, as they try to navigate these starting pitcher injuries and probably experience some of that offensive regression.
1: Schedule gets difficult. They get three in San Francisco, which I mean, the giants are coming off as bad of a weekend as we've seen from them in two years, getting swept by the Padres over the weekend, but they had, they get multiple West coast trips during in the middle of this one. And then they have to go Dodgers, Padres, Angels in that first first uh, two weeks of June. So, hey, look, they're going to have to negotiate it. But if, you, if your pitchers give up no runs in a game, you're probably going to win. Yeah. Uh, last time I checked. But, uh, no, it is, it is something to monitor, too, for the Mets, who right now, really about your third or fourth favorite to win the World Series, depending on what book you're at. Third at DraftKings, only the Yankees and the Dodgers shorter right now. And the Mets have, by far, the biggest division lead in baseball. They're eight games clear of both Philadelphia and Atlanta.
0: And I will say this, if you're stalking out the in-season futures market, as Jeff mentioned, the Mets are going to play a tough stretch here coming up. You want them to look bad. You want them to lose games, fall back. Well, obviously Jeff doesn't. I but, don't. <laughs> but you want them to lose games and fall back to the pack a little bit here because you might get a better World Series price on them if they struggle, particularly if they struggle against high-profile teams, because I think we need to be looking, actively looking out there for a good price. And I don't know exactly what price I'm talking about, but I'm trying to find a better number out there because DeGrom will be back. Scherzer will be back. McGill will be back. And McGill could even be used as a relief weapon, potentially, depending on how the other guys in the rotation do in his absence, to where that's a team that they're going to have starting pitching that nobody wants to face come playoff time. They have a lineup that makes a ton of contact, whether it's good contact or not. They still make a ton of contact. They've got a pretty good bullpen, I think that what we need to hope for is the Mets to kind of regress a little bit and then try to find a good in-season price on them.
1: Oh, well, again, the schedule is really difficult. Starting this weekend, where they have one series against Washington, and everyone else on that schedule is someone that at least is a—I don't want to say annoying to play because I don't think the Marlins are particularly good, but the Marlins are a difficult team to they're face, pesky. and they—they're pesky. It's a good way to good way to put that there. Adam Burke uh, Brian Ortega is the uh, other Met fan in, in, in the joint today. Look at that look at Ortega rocking the orange and blue as well. The regression report is coming your way next. We roll on the run line here at Circa on v You found v premier baseball betting show. This is the run line. fins made brighter. Join the Born in a Ballpark Challenge presented by Blue Moon to compete free for cash all season. Enter weekly prediction pools to fight your, for your share of $62,500 in total cash prizes. Head to DraftKings.com slash Blue Moon now to join the action. That's DraftKings.com slash Blue Moon. Blue Moon, May Brighter. Must be 21 or older. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And as always, drink responsibly. Blue Moon sounds awesome right now. I'm not going to lie, Adam. Nice relaxing relaxing Sunday Sunday evening beverage. Blue Moon sounds pretty good. It does, absolutely. Yeah. Let's see if Ortega can snag some of those for (laughs) us uh, before, uh, as soon as we're off the air here in, in about 90 minutes. He's Adam Burke. I'm Jeff Parles. Happy to be with you. The run line. Here on V Sin. By the way, we neglected to mention in the last segment. How about uh, Lee Severino getting out of bases loaded, no one out, and nothing for the Chicago White Sox in that fifth inning? By the way, Kopech is absolutely dealing so far tonight, and by dealing, he is still. Are we allowed to say he's perfect through five innings? Is that a we're going to get blamed for jinxing Michael Kopech here, Adam? I don't believe in that. There we go. I don't either. I don't. I don't either. It's all all nonsense. But here's,
0: here's Severino giving up a, a leadoff knock here, and Abreu stretches out to a double, so he's in trouble again. So we'll see if he can get out of this one.
1: Leadoff oppo taco double there for Jose Abreu, who, uh, again, is uh, struggling a little bit so far this year for the former MVP. We'll see if the White Sox can come through here again. Kopech, again, the uh, big news in this one. Kopech perfect through five innings. For the Chicago White Sox, second leg of a double dip, the White Sox won Game One against the Yankees. But let's get into it. The regression report here. I'm gonna hit my paper against the table, make it all fancy. If I had a uh, had glasses myself, I'd, I'd lower them down, Adam.
0: Is that what I should do? I should just just lower, lower like, them down. Their bifocals. Is that what I gotta do?
1: <laughs> but but Adam, let us let, just uh, let's just look at this early re- early season results on barrels by ballpark. And Adam, for people that may be new to watching this program or people that may be new to really stats that really can help you win bets at this point. What, what, what does a barrel mean exactly? So
0: a barreled ball, according to StatCast, is a baseball hit at least 95 miles per hour that falls into a certain launch angle range. And the launch angle is dependent on how hard the ball is actually hit. But a barreled ball has an expected batting average of at least 500, an expected slugging percentage of at least 1,500, so 1.500. So generally speaking, when you think about barrels, you think of doubles. You think of home runs. You mm-hmm. think of really, really deep fly balls. And the thing that we've seen with the humidor here, especially in some of these cooler weather cities, a lot of these balls feel like they're dying on the warning track, short of the warning track, something like that. It's one of those things, and if Josh Towers would have been here, we we're going to talk about analytics in the eye test, but I have the numbers to back it up. That barrels are just not doing what they're supposed to do in a lot of these places. And the eye test, if you watch a game, you see a lot of these balls, and you go, man, that ball's crushed. And it just, it's a harmless fly out. So when, when we talk about barrels, we're talking about if you barrel a ball, right? You can't really hit it any better than you did. But we've seen a lot of those get turned into outs. And specifically in some of the colder weather ballparks. So in terms of barrels, The biggest difference between batting average and expected batting average. Look at some of the parks on the list. Comerica Park is the biggest. A 265-point difference between actual batting average and expected batting average. Progressive Field in Cleveland, a ballpark that I know very well. I know in April and May the ball doesn't carry there. A 209-point difference on the negative side between batting average and expected batting average. Other parks, Oriole Park, PNC Park, at least up until this weekend where the Cardinals... did pretty much everything they wanted offensively in that series, and then also Chase field. So the thing of it is this. When you watch the Tigers play, their offense isn't very good, right? We all know that. But their offense should probably be better than how it is because the humidor and the cold weather has had a negative impact on offense. And also keep in mind, too, these are by venue. This isn't by team. So this also means that visiting teams, going to Detroit, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, so on, It's Baltimore – those, the visiting teams are also having issues with this. So my thought is that as it warms up, the characteristics of the ball will change a little bit. It should carry a little bit more. So I think that maybe we can get some value on low total overs in some of these colder weather ballparks as offense should start to improve.
1: Just just again, you it was just flashed on the screen, those bottom ballparks of batting average minus expected batting average. And like you said, you're dealing with Detroit. Weather's always bad in April and early May. Cleveland, another bad weather ballpark. Baltimore again. Baltimore is a little bit a little bit different than it's been just because it's a it's a different ballpark now right, right. than it's been in the past. Pittsburgh, cold. And then uh, last time I checked, very cold in Arizona. But, uh, but, <laughs> but Chase Field uh, again. Uh, really, that is a a, a dependent. We know uh, in the past uh, the famous story, Randy Johnson pitched a game there, the roof was open, gave up a leadoff home run, they closed the roof, game ended 1-0. nothing. is a very different ballpark when it is closed as opposed to open, and that's one that may not change because as the weather gets warmer and hotter in Phoenix, which it's going to probably be over 110 very soon there consistently, those numbers may not change. So be careful on that one as opposed to those first four on the list.
0: Right, and, and the funny thing about Chase Field being on that list, they've had a humidor there for quite some yes. time. That was the second ballpark to get one after Coors Field, because of, you know, the warm weather and, and the differences in, in, you know, whether the roof is open and whether the roof is closed. But, yeah, we're talking about cold-weather cities, right? So, yeah, those are big discrepancies. But here's the thing. In terms of batting average versus expected batting average on barreled balls, going into Thursday, or Friday's games when I sent this graphic over to Ortega to be made, there were only two ballparks where the batting average was higher than the expected batting average – and it was Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, which is one of the best hitters' parks in baseball, and then American Family Field in Milwaukee, which is pretty surprising to me, honestly. I mean, it is a a retractable Mm. roof stadium, but that's been a ballpark that's been really, really good for pitchers over the last several years. So it's a lot of the same culprits in terms of slugging percentage versus expected slugging percentage, where Comerica Park on barrels is way down, Progressive Field, same thing, same thing, Oriole Park, PNC Park. But interestingly enough, Number five on the list of biggest negative differences between slugging percentage and expected slugging percentage, Yankee stadium. And huh. that's an offense that has a lot of power, a lot of contact quality, Aaron judge and John Carlos Stanton specifically, but Yankee stadium has played big, oddly enough. You know, we've had, uh, you know, uh, Chris Woodward was complaining about <laughs> Gleyber Torres' walk off home run the other day and you know, all that kind of thing. But Yankee stadium has not really played up to its expect expectations In the slugging percentage department either, once again, another cold weather ballpark, but only one ballpark going into Friday had a higher actual slugging percentage than expected slugging percentage, and that was Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. So I don't know if the humidor is malfunctioning in Cincinnati or whatever the case may be, but the reality here is that we've seen a lot of balls not carry. So just about every ballpark has been negatively impacted by the humidor to this point. The question is, as it warms up, does that continue being the case? I'm hypothesizing that offense gets a little bit better based on everything that I've read, based on what people much smarter than me have said about the baseball, the atmosphere conditions, all of that. But this is just simply to say that right now we're seeing overs kind of cash at a decent rate because the books have adjusted. It may ultimately be something as we go into June where we just get more offense league wide because we see the numbers kind of get closer to where they're expected to be.
1: Yeah, just just looking at this real quick uh, again with Great American Ballpark as you said the only one who's got the only ballpark who's higher in both the uh the slugging minus expected slugging and batting average minus expected batting average to uh four totally different stats. How much of that though has to do with the fact you're dealing with a again, a great hitters ballpark historically? Plus, a, a, a very, let's just tell that is a horrible baseball team. Yes. Yeah, that, that's also fair. The, the thing
0: that's really interesting, though, is when the Reds went on that one week run, basically, where they were like three and 21 or whatever, and then won a few games in a row, they were missing Joey Votto. They were missing Nick Senzel. They were missing Jonathan India. They were missing three of their most important daily position players, and their offense still took off. So that was kind of interesting to me to sort of say, Maybe there's something about the ballpark there on the Ohio River that you know is, is not immune to the humidor, but at least it's not as big of an impact. But again, a lot of these cold-weather teams, and I think specifically you, you talk about a team like Chicago, for example, the White Sox that we've been talking about already here, nothing-nothing uh, in the sixth on Sunday Night Baseball, but that's a team where they have a lot of positive signs offensively to where I think the weather has kind of held them down, especially playing in some other cold-weather cities. Boston is another one all of a sudden the Red Sox offense has really gotten going over the last week or so and that's something that I kind of expected to happen. I haven't capitalized on it enough from a betting standpoint, but that may be kind of one illustration of what we can expect with some of these cold weather offenses going forward.
1: Red Sox, of course, uh, just bludgeoning the baseball weekend against the Mariners a Seattle team that uh, again when you overachieve like you did last year. On your wins, it's going to be pretty hard to uh, overachieve a second consecutive year. Actually worse than they're expected to be so far this year. Real or fake? No, that actually not talking about either of us right now, surprisingly enough. We're going to be breaking down a pair of pitchers. Is, there, is their great starts real or fake so far for two select Central Division pitchers? We're going to continue on the run line here on V-CIT. V-son's premier baseball betting show. This is The Run Line. Before making your next bet, be sure to visit VEASAN.com to check the current betting splits data. The betting splits page will show you where the money and the bets are on moving on every single game, and they're now updated every 10 minutes so you can see changes in all of the action. You'll be able to see where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. You can check it out today. and It's not just today's action, either. you also have future action as well. Betting split is available now, vSyn.com, and it's just another way that vSyn is here to make you a smarter, better year-round. It is the Run Line here on Vsin. I'm Jeff Parles. He is Adam Burke. Michael P- Kopech's perfect game has been jinxed by Brian Ortega. <laughs> That'll be the person that we blame here. I like it. There we go. Uh,
0: Can't dub- blame us. We mentioned it 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago. We, we, we still got, had it.
1: We got through five outs. Yeah, right. That's after our first mention of it. Double for Brantley for the Yankees. Still no score. This would be a pretty brutal one for the White Sox, who at the bases loaded and no one out in the top of the fourth with the top of the order coming up. Yeah, nothing. Lead-off double in the in the top of the sixth with Abreu, get nothing. Severino's been getting in and out of trouble the last two innings. Now the Yankees with a shot with the top of their order, and D.J. LeMahieu up, but he is behind 0-2 against Kopech, and LeMahieu flies one out to center, and that will be the end of the inning. We are scoreless through 6
0: so this gets really interesting now because D.J. LeMahieu batting leadoff. So Kopech just turned the lineup over for the third time. We know that the third time through the order splits very much exist. And also, too, you know, we had a doubleheader today. Mm-hmm. So Kendall Graveman pitched game one. Liam Hendricks pitched game one. That's three appearances in four days for Graveman. Hendricks is a guy who seems like he pitches every single day. Tony do just I don't know, doesn't have a him to not use him, I guess. So this gets really interesting now because – You generally don't want to bring a pitcher back out to face the lineup a third time, especially a guy in Kopech who doesn't work all that deep into games, but the pitch count's not really an issue. So I'll be really interested to see what Tony Larusa does here. I I think at this point, the Yankees at minus 150 at BetMGM, probably still a little bit high to play, but I certainly wouldn't take the White Sox live here, I don't
1: think. Oh, nothing to do with it. Oh, nothing to do with it. The only thing I would consider... Is if we get the total low enough at some point, especially if we can somehow get the extra innings with the ghost runner now, which again it's still stupid that that exists, but regardless, yes. maybe you get one of those where all of a sudden the floodgates open and and you get a you get a two and a half at some point, and all you need is one team to get get a big one big inning with the runner at second as long as it's White Sox, why not? Maybe.
0: I guess one thing I can add here is the White Sox don't play tomorrow. They do have an off day. So, okay. so maybe La Russa just goes ahead and uses Liam Hendricks twice in the same day. I, I don't know. Uh, it would be managerial malpractice, I think, to do that. But, I mean, he used the guy six times in eight days in early May. So, you know, it seems like he doesn't really have any regard for the health of his relievers at all. White
1: Sox have two off days this week and an off day next Monday. Yeah. So they're only playing 5 games in 8 days after this. Which they're playing a two-game series with the Cubs where they don't play on Friday because that makes sense.
0: Okay. <laughs> Friday off days are very weird. Yes,
1: yeah, they do a lot, lot, lot of sense on that one. Uh they've already they already swept the uh the Cubs in the other two-game series that they played earlier in the year. All right, real or fake time and you know what since we we're just talking about the Cubs, let's start there. Mr. Burke. And we, we're looking at Kyle Hendricks here, who, look at one guy, the other guy uh, in this segment doing pretty well. Not so much with Mr. Hendricks so far, other than one start. Kyle Hendricks, as we know, one of the most consistent pitchers there has been over the last half decade. Really, just again, phenomenal over a five year period. O- almost 800 innings, a 3RA, a 3.6 FIP. Awesome over those years now it's just a regression here over these last few years 225 innings going back to the beginning of the last year 4.6 era 4.8 fip a strikeout percentage that is down five percent from 21 and a half to 16.8 walk percentage upper percentage from five to six adam is this just the guy who donned the nickname professor for a reason being able to Know the perfect situation to throw the right pitch, just regressing because his stuff isn't quite as good as it used to be. Yeah, it certainly
0: seems like the stuff isn't anywhere near where it used to be. And for those that are looking at the screen, the left side of the column is actually 2016 to 2020. The right side of the screen, 2020 to 2022, or 2021, excuse me, 2022, not including his start the other day on Friday, where the wind was blowing out at Wrigley Field about 25 miles per hour. He gave up four home runs, seven runs total over five innings. So we're talking about a guy now with a FIP over five in the last season and a quarter, basically. And that's a long sample size for a guy like Kyle Hendricks, who was stunningly efficient, very, very good command. A guy whose ERA was almost always better than his FIP. Now that's not the case anymore. And the the topic of this segment is real or fake and, and trying to ascertain whether or not this is the new Kyle Hendricks or if this is just a blip in the, in the road and this may be the new Kyle Hendricks, Jeff. I just, I don't know if it's a workload thing. I don't know what exactly we have going on here, but he's been bad for a sustained period of time. And I will say that during that 2020 season, I think he threw 80 something innings in a 60 game season over 12 starts. That may have just kind of burned him out a little bit. And he just hasn't been able to recover. But every time you look at Hendricks and you think, Oh, you know, this is a pretty good matchup or, Oh, this is, you know, going to be the start where he kind of gets it back. It doesn't happen. So I, this just might be the new Kyle Hendricks.
1: Of course, the Cubs won the NL Central in that truncated 2020 season. Marlins last postseason win. Maybe their last postseason win <laughs> for a long time uh, there in Miami. I, I'm with you. I just, when, especially when you're a pitcher like that, who's Kyle Hendricks has never overpowered anyone.
0: No, the margin for error is thin. It is a very like
1: small margin for error. Exactly. And once the stuff goes, it balloons. And it balloons fast, like we have seen with Hendricks over the last year and a month and a half now uh, there in, on the uh, on the north side of Chicago. How about this I guy, just, though?
0: Go ahead. It's amazing. You look at Kyle Hendricks, and, and 81 and a third innings in the regular season yeah. in 2020, and then, of course, had a playoff start as well. But in a year with a dead ball, and the ball didn't really travel all that well last season either. There were kind of some changes made to the baseball last year. Hendricks has now given up 41 home runs in the last season and a quarter. And this is a guy who gave up 19 home runs in 177 innings in 2019, 22 in 199 innings in 2018. Like, he had elite command where he was able to avoid the long ball, and now he can't. And when you don't strike guys out, and when you pitch to contact, and you give up home runs, I just, I don't know if this is fixable for him.
1: Just like like I said, once... When you're when you're a guy like that, once it goes, it just, poof, it's yep. gone right away. Uh, I'm with you. I don't think it's fixable, and it'll be very interesting for the Cubs, who may have seemingly missed their mark in an opportunity to possibly get some value back in a trade for Hendricks. Now you're probably looking at getting something inevitably at the trade deadline. Cubs are going to be out of it. They're going to be one of the sellers this year. Probably not going to get a lot back for Hendricks, unless if a team is very desperate for starting pitching, on that August 2nd deadline. Let's look at someone who's on the positive end, and it's one of the few bright spots so far this year for the Detroit Tigers. That's Tariq Scuble. Uh a guy who, is, a guy who I like fading in his early portion of his career, Adam, especially uh, 2020 and 2021. 4-5 ERA, which was actually better than his FIP, which was 5-2, over 181 innings. Guy struck out 26% of his batters. High walk rate, though, is 7.5. This year, Adam... Almost 40 innings, ERA at 2.5. His Fip's actually better than his ERA, which is always a good sign, 2.09. And almost 30% strikeout rate at 28.3, and that walk rate is down to a totally a, a totally solid five.
0: Yeah, so Scoople's a guy that, I mean, a huge transformation here for the Detroit Tigers. And he's using his slider at more than his fastball this season, so that should allow his strikeout percentage to remain high. Should help in terms of his contact quality. He actually threw five shutout innings on Friday night against Cleveland uh, before getting hit in the shin with a comebacker, took his fifth down under two in that start. I think this is pretty realistic for Scooble here. The, the Tigers have done a pretty good job developing pitching talent. Uh, hopefully, Scooble doesn't miss any starts because they're already missing six legitimate major league starting pitchers to injury, uh, but this is a this is a guy in Scooble who – You know, he's a lefty. That's always something that can be a little bit interesting for teams. They don't see a lot of those left-handed arm slots, uh, especially when he goes outside the division. The swing and miss was there. Now the command is there. So the quality of the stuff was there. He was just giving up a lot of hard contact, giving up a lot of home runs, walking guys. Now he's even elevated the strikeout profile while still having better command. I think this is very, very much real, and I think that Tariq Skubal is a guy that has a lot of upside and a lot of potential for the Tigers.
1: A pair of reels here. Look at that. Keeping it real here on the program today uh, with uh, Scoobal and uh, Tough Hendricks. Tough thing to do in Vegas. <laughs> slightly. Slightly. Slightly <laughs> difficult there, Adam. Yeah, he's Adam Burke. I'm Jeff Parles. Uh, the run line continues. We've got another hour. Quick hour. Always a fast show here. We're going to update you on what's going on in the Bro- in the Bronx. Can the White Sox get a big hit? I'll tell you if Luis Robert can do it when we get back on the flip side here on the run line on v